Art takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guest today recognizes that Paul Rudd may in fact be a deity. Their favorite fallen angel is probably Christopher Daniels and has not broken all of the Ten Commandments yet. She is ready to declare anyone who doesn't enjoy David Wayne's 2007 comedic anthology film, The Ten, to be a blasphemous heretic. Everyone is wrong, but Allison McManus isn't. Thanks for coming on again, Allison. Hey, thanks for having me again, Seth. Yep, another round, another movie. I'm always excited to chat with you about these. So I appreciate you always having ideas for different episodes. I like to pull out stuff, too, that sometimes people don't maybe don't think about. Of course, you've been pretty good about pulling out stuff that I would never even heard of, like The Counselor. Right. Not to plug your podcast in a different episode. Yeah, <laughs> there's lots of stuff, you know, it happens, it happens. And, you know, this one, this movie, I think sort of qualifies. It's almost too obscure for for the podcast. But I think because of the amount of talent that's involved, it does seem like, wait, not only does it's something people might not even know about and also people don't like it when they know about it. So I, I felt like it it fit well enough. So let's get into the background of the 10. The Ten is a 2007 comedy anthology film directed by David Wayne and written by Wayne and his The State stablemate, Ken Marino. The film is structured as a series of ten interconnected vignettes, each meant to represent one of the biblical Ten Commandments. Paul Rudd plays Jeff, who hosts these stories and is having his own storylines in between the sketches. The film features an all-star cast, including Winona Ryder, Jessica Alba, Famke Johnson, Adam Brody, Justin Thoreau, Liev Shriver, Gretchen Mole, Janine Garofalo, Rob Coldry, Oliver Platt, and pretty much all of Wayne's buddies from the state, which is the sketch show from MTV that he was on, including the aforementioned Ken Marino, Joe Latruglio, Carrie Kenny. Michael Showalter, Michael Ian Black, and Thomas Lennon. The film is actually the follow-up to Wayne's 2001 cult favorite Wet Hot American Summer and premiered at Sundance in January 2007. It was purchased there by Think Film for $4.5 million. It's hard to get exactly what the budget of this movie was, but I saw one Variety review where it said the budget was around $5.25 million. And considering the investment in making it and the investment when it was purchased, the film barely got a release. It received a very limited release in theaters on August 3rd, 2007, but never played at over 47 theaters in any week during its run and only made less than a million dollars at the box office, uh, set around 785000 So it was not a smash, and that's probably why a lot of people do not know about it. But Allison, what was your personal relationship with the 10? How did you find this movie? And so when my wife and I first started getting together, we lived in Missoula, Montana together, and there was a great video rental store called Hastings. Yeah, R.I.P. There, were, there Hastings. were Hastings in Billings as well, where I'm from. And Spokane, and Spokane I think too. There were, I still see there's one Hastings building that was clearly formerly a Hastings. So and Caroline, and that's my wife, really loves Paul Rudd. I mean, I love Paul Rudd too, but like that's her celebrity husband. 
So we were basically looking up every Paul Rudd movie when we first got together to watch. So we were at Hastings and I was like, ooh, The Ten, I never heard of this movie, but Paul Rudd's in it. And also it's directed by the guy who did Wet Hot American Summer, which I had seen at college. And it you know, had become this underground film that a lot of 20-somethings really enjoyed or 19-year-olds. So I was like, oh, well, we better check out this movie. And then also, my I remember the state a little bit from MTV when I was a teenager and a, and a tween. So I was like, oh, okay, this has a lot of people. I kind of recognize some of these things. Like, I have to watch this movie now. So we checked it out and watched it, and it kind of became an instant hit in our household. I think it's one of those where the people that do discover it, you know, it's either, as we'll get to the receptions, a lot of people are not on board with this, but I think there is that devoted group with lots of comedy things where it's just like, oh, if the comedy hits you right, then it just like becomes your thing. Yeah. And I think especially, especially if you're a huge state or Stella, which is the David Wayne, Mike Lee and Black show Walter spinoff group. That's also like, I can see why fans of that shows would also be really big fans of the, of the 10. For sure. For sure. So as for the critical response of the movie, people do not like the 10. It sits at 35% among critics on Rotten Tomatoes, an even lower 32% among top critics, and also has a Rotten audience score of only 40%. Ty Burr of Boston.com wrote, The 10 has a catchy concept. 10 short, satiric stories, each focusing on one of the 10 commandments. It has a high-profile young cast. Paul Rudd, Winona Ryder, Gretchen Mull, Jessica Alba, and Leah Schreiber are among the glamorous talents here in Assembled. All that's missing are laughs. Any laughs. Co-written and directed by David Wayne, a member of the punitive comedy troupe Stella and director of the actually quite funny Wet Hot American Summer, The Ten is a virtually snicker-free exercise in audience pain. It's less a movie than an endurance test. Wow, ouch, that's, that's rough. Yeah, people, the critics did not pull punches on this one. Scott Craven of the Arizona Republic wrote, Those worried about incurring God's wrath by seeing the ten, don't concern yourselves. By watching the film, you've suffered enough. Roger Moore, not James Bond, of the Orlando Sentinel quipped, Thou shalt be funny. Thou, in this case, isn't. A lot of the reviews used, like, thou, biblical language, and that kind of stuff to varying degrees of success. Rene Rodriguez of the Miami Herald said, By flaunting its own stupidity, the ten practically dares you not to laugh at it, like a stand-up comic who sells an unfunny joke through the ferocity of his delivery. And Sarah Michelle Fetters of Movie Freak was blunt saying, I hated it. And if there are a better three words in the English language to adequately explain my feelings, I must admit I have not yet been able to find them. So yeah, they don't they don't like this movie, Allison. They're not a fan. But there were a few souls who enjoyed this film. Dennis Harvey in Variety wrote, A crazy quilt of semi-interwoven sketches inspired by those tablets Moses brought down from the mountains. The ten is anything but a morally corrective night out. Second feature from duo Wayne and Ken Marino of the comedy group The State is, like their Wet Hot American Summer, uneven but often hilarious. Bad Taste Quotient is cranked up here. Ditto 
the overall conceptual giddiness. Since ye olden days of Kentucky Fried Movie, this sort of sketch omnibus has usually been more a cult than mainstream commercial attraction, but likely modest theatrical life should precede a long career in ancillary. And the Hollywood Reporter's John DeFore said, If Wayne and co-screenwriter Ken Marino don't put much stock into their source material, the connection between the commandment and plot is often barely discernible, they also have no interest in being saddled with a single style of humor, happily sliding from a sight gig like a pedicab drawn by a one-legged man straight into a meta moment in which a character comments on the stereotypical way his community is drawn. Just as Wayne's Wet Hot American Summer evoked the summer camp comedies of the late 70s, this free associative ride recalls cult classics like the Kentucky Fried Movie, albeit with less reliance on parody. It's uproarious enough that one can easily imagine the 10 being as beloved by the comedic writers of tomorrow as those films clearly were to a grade school David Wayne. So, Allison, why is everyone wrong about the 10? Well, I want to point out there that that was Variety and The Hollywood Reporter. Those are two pretty big, uh, well-known uh, well known papers that put out the good reviews there. <laughs> Not that that means anything. You could be a reviewer or whatever. But right. They are industry favorites. Why is everyone wrong about the 10? I think the description of it being an absurd like sketch comedy, like a cult film, I think it's a cult film that needs it to find its cult status. And I think it's finally gaining that a little bit of that attention, like 10 years, 15 years after it's come out. I came out in 2007, so was that 13 years now? I think even Wet Hot took a little bit of time to take off. Like when it came out, most people didn't see it. It didn't obviously take this long of amount of time, but I feel like the 10 really captures well, a lot of things. It captures the funniness in different things. They talk about sight gags and the one thing they talk about. There's meta moments. There's references to the state in the movie, which we can talk about later. It's all over. I think there's a little bit of a comedy thing in there for everyone. And yes, I can see how some people claim it's uneven, but like the really highs are really, really funny. So you will be laughing at certain parts of the film. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, let's launch into your defense points. What's your first defense point in favor of the 10? Well, I think we mentioned Paul Rudd, and I think that's my first defense point is it's Paul Rudd. And yeah, simply that Paul Rudd is in it. It's worth watching just for Paul Rudd. Even a bad Paul Rudd movie is still a Paul Rudd movie. And I'm not saying this is a bad movie. I would argue that the, oh God, there's this one movie with Owen Wilson and Reese Witherspoon that was like a romantic comedy with Paul Rudd. And I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But that was like a bad Paul Rudd movie. And Jack Nicholson. I, I believe the movie you're looking for after a little Googling is How Do You Know? How Do You Know? Yes. Or there's The Other Woman, which is another, is not The Other Woman. No, what's it called? Um, that one's a different movie. There's a couple of these Paul Rudd romantic comedies that aren't as funny or not as good as his absurd comedies. I think if you enjoy Paul Rudd in general, you'll probably enjoy The Ten. There's not really much to say other than... Well, yeah. I mean, I think we can sort of describe what his role is because we haven't... He's the host of it. Basically, the structure is he comes out. There's like this weird sort of CGI room that has just these massive things of the Ten Commandments in them. And he just sort of exists in this space and is sort of doing little bits between all of the things. Like at first it seems like he's 
going to be like a host that sort of like gives you an introduction to each of these. And then as it progresses, he kind of just gets caught up in his own narrative and barely even introduces them at all. So his story arc is sort of about like his relationships. He's in, he's married to Famke Johnson at a, at the start of this. And they're, you know, sort of bickering back and forth about like groceries and he's, they're calling him on the phone and then like they'll cut to the sketch and then they'll come back and they're, they're fighting and they'll cut back and he's working out and she's like, why are you working out? And, you know, we'll get into the, I think that some of the language in that part like later and then they'll cut back and it's like, Oh, he's actually having an affair with Jessica Alba. And then they cut back and it's, you know, David Wayne and Thomas Lennon, talking him through if he should leave his wife for Jessica Alba. It's all this like, it's like an absurdist line running through that like, oh, the host is sort of like abandoning hosting and he's just caught up in his own shit. And it's it's very, it's silly. Even if it's not like, I don't think it lands 100% of the time, but there are some of the funnier moments do come in those things. And then eventually he gets folded into one of the actual commandments stories yeah and he because he starts out as basically the narrator slash straight man and just keeps his life gets more and more absurd as it goes on and then like and also he's like sinful and it's sort of like part of the joke is that like he's presenting all these 10 commandments and also he's not a great person because he ends up with number nine the thou shall not commit adultery is what he his story ends up becoming that that that's the 10 commandment that his story really resolve revolves around a little bit and it just gets more and more absurd by the end like you find out that at one point he was dating diane weiss after leaving jessica alba which i think is hilarious which leads into some more absurdity that we can talk about later in regards to the finale of the show right yeah for sure but yeah i think you know if you're a paul rudd fan this is likely a film that has eluded you in your paul rudd watching and at least paul rudd is fun at it even if you maybe might not enjoy some of the other sketches. I think that's a a safe base to operate on. Yes. So let's move on to your second point of defense, and that's sort of the fact that this is an absurdist comedy and you feel like it's sort of misunderstood because of its absurdity. Yeah, and I think because it came out in 2007, which was like in between the sweet spots of when sketch comedy was really big. Like I think he and Peel had just started airing briefly, maybe around that time. But, like, the Chappelle show had ended in, like, 2004, so, like, there was this brief time where there wasn't really this absurdist comedy, like, on TV. And, like, absurdist films especially haven't been a thing. When they, you, you mentioned in your intro about Kentucky Fried Movie, but I think more about the sucker films like Airplane and the Mel Brooks, like, I, I think a lot about Mel Brooks films when I think about this film. Yeah, actually, Key and Peele didn't debut until 2012, so there... Was- oh, so there you go, yeah. So it, it, did, it didn't debut in the middle of a time when sketch comedy was considered a thing. And I think like it always, I mean, obviously SNL was existing, but like it didn't feel like it was a high point for sketch comedy right. in a lot of ways. Although I'm sure 2007 might've been the beginning of Lonely Island in SNL. I don't know exactly when that started either. When was the one dropped uh, Lazy Sunday? Yeah. Lazy Sunday was 2005. So it sort of hits in the period like Chappelle's show, I think ended 2006 and then Lazy Sunday and like sort of the SNL digital shorts were probably the main going concern in like fun sketch comedy that's like actually produced and not, you know, other than like SNL live. I mean, there's always a rotating 
array of sketch shows, but most of them, you know, they'll pop up and it'll be like, oh, that lasted for six episodes and then just left. And right. <laughs> so, yeah. And as someone who grew up as like a huge Mel Brooks fan, I think that really myself, I can really see a lot of the Mel Brooksness that David Wayne probably took from his his life growing up as well to really putting that into this film. Mm-hmm. And it remains to be saying David Wayne is Jewish. There's a lot of Jewish themes, I think, within this film. I think that's the whole Ten Commandments thing. So I think that's what he's also expounding upon there. A lot of the jokes, I think, really land because they are so outlandish. There's a point where they're uh, the thou should not cover the neighbor's goods where Joe Trulio and Lee Schreiber kept buying <laughs> MRI machines and they yeah kept, actually like, yeah we should just like run through quickly what the sort of the basis are so that people sort of can understand the absurdity so the first sketch is the thou shall not worship no god before me and that's Adam Brody is skydiving and his parachute doesn't open and he lands in no he just doesn't take a parachute he... <laughs> right that's right he doesn't take a parachute that's right he just jumps out thinking he can do whatever he wants he just is so excited to do it that he forgets to grab his parachute and he basically crashes into the ground and is like mangled and they're like we can't move the body and then it's sort of and Winona Ryder is his fiance and then it sort of becomes this absurdist thing where he becomes famous for you know being this body mangled in the ground who cannot ever get extracted and they he, make a TV show around it. Right. Which is really funny. Like quote unquote, like bigger than God in his own mind. So, and I think the fact that there's like TV shows and finally at one point it comes down to that his agent can't, they're canceling his TV show because someone gets stuck in rocks or something like that. And they're moving on to the next big, person that's stuck somewhere else yeah he becomes like a tabloid bad boy and yeah just like his brand he just lets his fame take over himself and you know is hanging out with like bikini models and pushing winona rider away and all is very like very silly but also he's just still stays there after after because he can't move he's gonna die yeah yeah shout out to ron silver playing his agent i think that role is really funny too like him constantly trying to get him to talk him out of doing things or getting him the role or whatever. Also, I think what's really, yeah, just the absurdness of man being stuck in a hole and becoming the most popular man in the world and getting his own TV show is just seriously really funny to me because it's a really absurd premise of just like, this guy can't move. Let's right, shoot a whole TV show. And like, he's stuck in the ground and you can see them changing the sets when they're shooting the TV show. And it's just like, like you said, all these bikini models becomes a bad, bad boy. It's just really funny and weird. Number two is Thou Shall Not Take the Lord's Name in Vain, which is the uh, Gretchen, the first part of the Gretchen Mall sketch where she's a librarian. Yeah, she's a librarian who wants to go down to Mexico for a trip. And while she's there, she meets this very hunky guy played by Justin Thoreau who they develop a relationship and it turns out he's actually Jesus. Yes, but he doesn't want to do the apocalypse because of... He's something about too lazy or something like that. He's enjoyed his life too much. There's that one throwaway line there. Yeah, it's funny. When I was watching this, this is... I was following it enough because I know Spanish, but for some reason, the version I was watching was not subtitled because a lot of this is in Spanish. So I was just like following off my like rudimentary Spanish <laughs> instead of... <laughs> so I feel like I might have missed a few jokes in this section, but I it was still... Again, it's very absurd. And she was dating... Or her coworker was into her, and later on, she leaves to Mexican Jesus, and then she marries Eighty Miles, who comes back later in the movie too. Like their whole bits come back together. Like this whole point, she ends up settling down with him later on. And then number three is one of the sketches that a lot of people I think talk about, which is 
Thou Shall Not Murder. It involves Ken Marino as a doctor, Dr. Glenn Ritchie. Yes. And he kills one of his patients because he left a surgical implement in them as a goof. Purposely, yes, as a goof. And he keeps trying to use that as his defense. And the person who is who's very upset and crying, the 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 the, the husband then wants to sue him. Oh yeah, I forgot. I forget. Yeah, I forgot to put Jason Sudeikis in Sudeikis. the all-star cast yeah. of people in this. But uh, yeah, Jason Sudeikis is in this as well. Yeah, he's the the husband that's crying because Ken Marino killed his wife, and then he takes her. He takes Ken Marino to court, and somehow court Ken Marino also goes to jail, which is what starts to come up with here. Yeah, again, all these stories sort of interflow. So Ken Marino comes back in another one, and. Gretchen Bull comes back in another one, and Winona Ryder, who was with Adam Brody's fiance, comes back in another one. So it just it sort of does sort of fold into itself over and over again. And the one lawyer too also ends up getting disbarred, and then he comes back later because he becomes a power plant tour guide, which comes back in the leaves the leaves Schreiber sketch. Because like you said, it's all interconnected in some ways. But really, the whole Ken Marino thing. So Dr. Glenn Ritchie, which we'll talk about later, too, actually comes back as a character in a different related TV right. show. So four is Honor Thy Mother and Thy Father, which is the one, the sketch that I think about a lot and I want to talk about in depth because... Yeah, we can skip that one and come back to it later. Yeah. That's a whole defense point. Yes. So then number five becomes Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's goods, which is also one of the more really funny, in my opinion, absurd and super yeah, that's funny. that's the first one you mentioned where it's Leah Shriver and Joe Latrulio basically one of them buys a cat scan for their house and Leah Shriver is looking over and he's like kind of like essentially like that bastard bought a cat scan we need a cat scan now and it just becomes a battle of them buying cat scans and then eventually bad things happen and yeah there's a nuclear basically the nuclear power plant burns down and then the tour guide and then Janine Groffalo is leading a bunch of students who's also related to i can't remember she's the wife of both the wives leave and i can't remember she's the one that's related to leave or joe but there's a when they when the kids all get stuck down at the power plant when it's burning down they realize they need a bunch of cat scan machines and the hospital doesn't have them so they try to take the children to the uh the houses but then the children's yeah because the houses, they buy so many CAT scan machines, it's like they can barely move around in their homes. Yeah. Just buying, like, truckloads of them. Yeah. But it's just really funny to watch. And, like, the way that Leave and Joe play off each other is really, really funny. And I think that's partially because Leave is actually a funny guy. We don't really see that enough. Yeah, we don't get a lot plays... of situations where he is allowed to ham it up. He's generally more Ray Donovan serious. Dude. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, if you don't know who Joe Lotrulio is, he's the guy that plays Boyle on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and he was an original member of the state. Yeah, I mean, everybody in the state is, if you don't know them, they're at least like, oh, that guy, like that person from Reno 911, or yeah. this person from Night at the Museum, or... Yeah, exactly. And Joe, obviously, is most famous as Boyle now, so he has that similar affection, affectation. And then... Number six is Thou Shall Not Cover the Neighbor's Wife, which is Ken Marino in prison now. Yeah, this one's probably the one that a lot of people, you know, if you watch it now, you might justifiably it, push back against. It's like a him and Rob Corddry basically like, it's almost like a soap opera drama, like a will they, won't they, but having to do with uh, trigger warning for rape. Yeah, prison, prison uh, relations. Relationships, I guess, and who's somebody's bitch, so to speak. 
and yeah it it's it's weird it's a very again it's very absurdist and you just you're either gonna be on board with it or you're gonna be totally off board with it and i think if i were to see this movie nowadays i would really hate that sketch and i would think this is awful um i think really the times really have even changed yeah i mean it is all contextualization a lot of with comedy like i feel like sometimes people forget that like edgelord humor was like a big thing for a very long time and you know it does look bad now but it doesn't necessarily you know i there's not as there's not as much malice behind it when it was done then as if you had done if they did this sketch now it'd be like you thought this out and were still went ahead with it and there's just like less consideration of other people's and it's also satirizing, I think, a little bit the Shawshank Redemption. There's the whole bit in the Shawshank Redemption about being, has someone gotten to you yet and being the prison wife or whatever. It's so like, that's the whole point of this bit. And Ken Marino is basically, is he going to be Rob Corddry's prison <laughs> prison wife or whatever? And so, like, it's kind of interesting to watch them interact. And I think the fact that they have really good chemistry, they have good comedic chemistry together, which obviously leads to the show that they both end up on later on in Adult Swim that we'll talk about. And then Seven is Thou Shalt Not Steal, which is an interesting one where Winona Ryder comes back and she had been dating. So she had been dating. The, so oh, there's a television reporter that starts in number one and he's kind of through. Tel- yeah, well, television really. reporter reporting on Stuck in the Ground, Adam Brody, and he sort of flirts with his fiance, Winona Ryder, and eventually when Adam Brody becomes too big a jerk, she essentially leaves him for the TV reporter. And that character's name is Louis LaFonda, which is easy to remember and also is referenced. I think he's someone that David Wayne actually knew because some of the names that David Wayne uses are names referenced to people that he knew growing up. Mm -hmm. So then Winona's dating this news repeater reporter guy. Then she ends up falling in love with a ventriloquist, but not actually the ventriloquist. She falls in love with the ventriloquist dummy. Yes. So she eventually steals the ventriloquist dummy and there are sex scenes with the ventriloquist dummy and it is you know i think this one is you know again near the peak of the absurdity but mm-hmm. also winona Ryder's like absolutely just going for it a hundred percent this was sort of in the era when she was you know not as welcomed by people after like the whole shoplifting thing so and i heard that she just did this movie even before seeing a script because she was just such a wet hot fan yeah, and I think that's also some of the people in this movie. I think were huge David Wayne or State fans or Wet Hot fans. Obviously, yeah. Paul had been in Wet Hot before. Most of the State people had too. Yeah, I, shout out to Winona for just going the whole hog on this one. I think that's what really sells sells the bit is that she's just super funny, like being in love with this ventriloquist dummy. Yeah, like basically, at the show, she's just like laughing at every joke the dummy says, and then. You know, it's how they, you know, do audience participation with like ventriloquist stubbies where it's like, hey, how about I see you backstage after the show? And she's like, but like takes everything literally like, yeah, I want to see him backstage. <laughs> and he said, maybe you'd like put your little stick in me or something. And just goes crazy off the rails with that. And then number eight is the thou shalt not bear false witness, which is very interesting because it's where the animation where David Wayne takes a little detour into animation here and brings up that the ventriloquist himself falls into hard times, becomes a drug addict. And he hears a homeless man tell a story about the lion rhino, which is all about 
basically the, the boy who cries wolf story, but instead it's a animated rhino voice by Archer and Bob Belcher, AKA the can of beans for what hot American summer himself, H John Benjamin, mm-hmm. which is pretty funny. Also yet again, I'm glad that they brought him back to do a voice, even though obviously his voice sounds the same and everything. Yeah. It, he's the, he's the greatest voice actor who always sounds like himself. It's just a really funny sketch to, and the whole point is that basically the lion rhino lies about everything, but he finds out that something's going to happen and tells everyone and it doesn't, no one believes him. And then a bunch of people, well, if you have to watch the movie to figure out the rest of it, but a bunch of, right. And then there is a flash from the animation to the lion rhino being maybe a real person in real life. Cause it's wearing the same shirt, but he's a human as opposed to an actual rhinoceros. Yeah. And then nine is the one that we mentioned before. The Paul Rudd, Thou Shall Not Commit Adultery. Also, the Thou Shall Not Bear Witness, is that the one also where Leave is actually, him and Michael Ian Black are the cops then? I think that's, is that an eight as well? Yeah, I forget. Like, there are actors, no, there are actors who play, no, I think that's actually, wait, which one is that? Hold on. No, that, he, Leave Shriver's a cop in the one that the, it was a goof, the hospital one, because he's interrogating oh, right, yeah. so, that. So, and then he comes back into that one, yeah, and so... There's yeah, that's when his character comes back later. Yeah, there's, but it's just there's interesting. lots of overlap, as, as we've said before. So yeah. And then thou shalt commit dollar. We talked about that's the Paul, the actual one about Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd and Famke Jensen sort of like getting back together, randomly meeting on the street and being like, "Let's do this." <laughs> the ten is also number ten is one of my favorite as well because it's so absurd and funny. Which is uh, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, and the whole point of. If you know the the Ten Commandments, basically, you know, you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. But 80 miles instead of going to church, who's married Gretchen Mall and she's taking her kids to church and everything. He decides that he just wants to hang out and be naked in his house. And, and then it just sort of spirals to like one of his friends talks to him about it. And he's like, yeah, I, it was Bobby awesome. Cannavale. Yeah. 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 Again, another famous person nowadays, another re- re- Ant-Man related person as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a few more. Well, well I was going to bet you probably the junk drawer, but there's there's a few more people where you're like, oh, that person's very famous, but they were not very famous at the time. And so, and there's, and we'll talk about, there's the one joke from number 10 that I, I also bring up when we talk about fam- funny quotes from this movie. Yeah. But it keeps going to more and more absurd and more and more naked men keep coming, hanging out. And, and he has to like try to rush them all out every Sunday so that Gresham Mall doesn't find out. Yeah, it becomes then, this like, almost like, not even like a cult, but it's just like, all the dudes in town just are like, yeah, we're going to figure out a way to get out of church and hang out naked together in this house every Sunday and then and bounce. That's And Ben Garant, who's one of the guides from Rainbow 911, not Thomas Lennon, but the other one who's also in the state, is in, in the hot tub in this, in this scene too. And then there's a reference to a state bit. He actually is telling the same joke that he told in a state sketch where he's also sitting in the hot tub. <laughs> See, I'm not, I'm not as much a state fan to even pick up on that, but that's that's no. Great. It took me like four viewings, and I had just watched that. I had watched that episode of the State when I was, watching, and then I watched the Ten like right after it, and I was like, okay, this is a deep cut that's really going to be someone funny to someone who knows the State, and then had watched. This is a this is a joke for hundreds of people. <laughs> <laughs> I would say tens of people. I was trying to be generous. That reminds me though too. There's the. Uh, have you seen Delocated? The, I, I've I've watched episodes of it before. I'd ever like watched the show. Have you seen the Paul Rudd bit though, where he accidentally kills Paul Rudd? No, I have not. It's so funny, and basically he keeps talking about all the different movies that he doesn't mention the ten, unfortunately, but he texts about all these really random movies that Paul Rudd was in after he starts after Paul Rudd is dying, and it's super absurd. 
it just also reminds me of why i mean it just mm-hmm. connects to why i love absurdist comedy because it's just like so funny yeah and then we should probably mention after the 10 commandments after they run through all 10 then there's an absurd musical number that just like all the characters get looped back into this big like rock song and then also after that there's another musical number in the credits that is sort of like one of those sort of in the same style as like the song at the end of the recent weird the Alyagovic story where it's like we're having a song that describes everything you've just seen and is in funny terms and I just remember the the, the the one song I did all for Weiss, that part where he talks about yeah, the it Paul Yeah, it seems like there, there's certain points in the song where they're like sort of recapping everything. And it does seem like, oh, did you write that Diane Weiss joke in the earlier segment just so that you could have a rhyme in the song later? And the, the Diane Weiss joke we can talk about in the quote section because I think that fits. There's one of the jokes there that I always that I like to quote a lot of. Um, and this is like Gretchen Mull rhyming, saying her name because it also rhymes in the song is just really absurd. Yeah, like not her character name, like actually Gretchen Mull. Yeah, she says, I am Gretchen Mull. And it's just really funny. Um, and it's written by the guy who does all the music for this this state. I just had his name pulled up. Fr- Craig Wedren, who did the state theme. But he's done a lot of other themes as well. He's a really famous musical person. He had recently done something. I mean, he did... US of T, he did some stuff on US of T, Nancy's Terror, sorry. He does all of David Wayne in the state movies. He did the Stella theme, the state theme. But there was something recently that was like a high profile show they did the theme for. It might have been Yellow Jackets. Yes, he did. Yeah, he composed the Yellow Jackets theme, which is a really good TV show. And he's composed other stuff too, a lot of all the wet hot stuff. And apparently he composed some music for Shrill and Fresh Off the Boat. I mean, you name it, he's done a lot of stuff. So awesome. Well, yeah, we kind of have mentioned this back and forth and a few times while we were going through the absurdity, but your number three defense point is sort of the quotableness of this movie, in your opinion. Yes. I mean, there is quotes all over this film that I think somehow that people don't, like, we talk about Anchorman still, people still quote that movie to this day. The Hangover even still gets quoted, and I think it's not as... That movie is not aged as well. I think the 10, at least, is because it's so absurd, at least is a little bit more timeless. The Hangover feels like it's just that time period. Some of the quotes that we use in everyday life still is like, we don't say juicing our pecs as much, but that's one that everyone so, yeah. really hung the, up the, to. The two that I marked for sure during this whole thing, like, I, I mean, I don't think it's like an elite tier. I think you guys probably, you and uh, Carolyn probably have you know, just because it's a Bond movie for you two, that it's like sure, yeah. hooked in a lot more than, you know, it's like there's still other movies of the era. There's, you know, like the Zoolanders of the worlds, even some like super bad where it's just like, oh, there's things that are definitely, you know, have more quotable things in my opinion. But there are a couple things where even as I was watching, because you sent me this as one of the defense points, I'm like, oh, you're definitely going to mention juicing my packs, which is when the interstitial that I mentioned when Paul Rudd is just randomly at a weight bench and it's sort of where Famke Judson becomes like, are you like maybe cheating on me? Like, why are you <laughs> like working out all of a sudden? He's like, and he just keeps on saying variations of like, ah, oh, I just like got to juice my pecs. Like, come on. Like, what do you expect? I'm juicing my pecs. <laughs> yeah. It's just hilariously enough. I, the only piece of merchandise I've ever seen from this was a t-shirt that said juicing my pecs. And then it said the 10 on it. And I saw it in the wild at, in, in Seattle, but apparently it was part of the promos for the movie. So like, I must've went to some of the theaters. Oh, weird. So 
Because I had asked the guy about it and he said he had gotten it from a movie theater. So I don't know. Oh, yeah, the other one stood out. Was, it was a goof, which we kind of mentioned, the whole Ken Marino thing. Yeah, I was going to say, that was the one that I was like, for sure. Like, because that whole thing, it's just like, he's just very, like, sheepishly, like, confusedly such a dumb character being like, yeah, it was a goof. And, like, you know, the Jason Sudeikis' character is, like, breaking down, crying, like, you killed my wife, you son of a bitch. Is like, but it was it was a goof. And, like, he brings in a nurse and is, she's like, you were in the operating room with me, right? And, like, why did I leave that in there? And she's like, oh, because it was a goof. And he's like, see, it was a goof. And it's just like, like he could, he, he can't understand why people don't think it's funny that he does, thinks it's funny that he's pranking around. Um, yeah, it was a goof, is definitely something a lot that we bring up, right? But then I'm sure there's other ones that are more in your wheelhouse. So, what are some of those? Okay, so in the, the, the last sketch, we talk about him, <laughs> 80 miles and Bobby Cannavale and the rest hanging out naked in their, their house. And in the beginning, he starts playing Roberta Flack, and he's like, but I'm not going to play track one because that's so Roberta Flack 101. So he plays like track three. So that the that's so what whatever 101 we like to use if we're talking about something that's like so basic. Yeah. Like know. it's the most basic thing. Oh, you're listening to Smells Like Teen Spirit. That's so Nirvana 101. Yeah. And then the other thing is he says, I'm a flack freak. So we also say I'm a blank freak a lot too, whatever it is. <laughs> It's just funny too that it's just Roberta Flax the first time I saw her face her face and then Yeah, it's it's a very you know, it's one of those polls where you're like, These dudes are really into Roberta Flack? Okay, I guess. You know, it's like one of those <laughs> they just say it with such confidence that like, oh yeah, like they say it as if it was, you know, all dudes, of course, love. It's a common thing about like thirty something dads. They all love Roberta Flack. <laughs> And at one point when Leave is in the doing the interrogation, I believe he mentions a bunch of fast food restaurants, but they don't want to get sued. So they pronounce it like McDonald's and Woundies. So we we still call all the all the restaurants those <laughs> Burger King. So yeah, every time we're ordering food, we're like, Do you want food from McDonald's tonight? <laughs> yeah, that's good. I, I like that. I mean, I, I've always, you know. I think that was this fetch point is a little bit specific, but I also just love those anytime you know, you, you and your friends or your partner or whoever could just have like an in joke with yes. like, it's, it's, it's a reference and it's a quote joke, but there's a difference when it is something, you know, you know, if you're saying something from a Judd Apatow movie that it's just like out there and, you know, it's on t-shirts and you can buy it on bumper stickers or, you know, on Etsy or whatever, as opposed to something like one of my friends, who I went to college with, we had a science class and we had so many jokes out of that science class that we still like use and will text each other that are like non sequitur absurdist things. Like there's a, there was some like genetic, it was a thing that was called aqua bounty. And so we just say <laughs> aqua bounty, but like as if we're the predator and have our like fingers up like aqua bounty. <laughs> so yeah I, I very much am on board with you know it might be a little specific but there's at least a few lines that i think anybody would find are funny regardless like i can't imagine you you might get tired of the as a goof thing as that sketch kind of keeps on going on and that's like essentially the joke of the whole thing continually mm -hmm. but at least for the first few times i can't imagine you like somebody watching this and not 
having at least a chuckle at that. And the other thing, there's a brief point too where they're talking about when he's talking about maybe Dayton Diane Weiss, and he says something about Hannah and her da- daughters, but he says more like Hannah and her dollars. And we, we say that all the time too, because he's talking about how rich Diane Weist is. So we like to bring that up a lot too. I like the I like this. I like that you don't necessarily quote the quotes. You just do like variations on the quotes. Yeah. And it's Hannah and her dollars is the quote, but and then we just talk about that a lot. Well, and every time Diane Weiss comes up, we always talk about we broke it off with Weiss. Like because you know, she's a pretty prolific actress. So she's and she was on Law and Order for a long time and stuff too. So I think every time we're watching one of those shows, it just reminds us of the 10, which is just funny too. And she's not even in the 10. That's like even the funniest part. Yeah, she's just a reference. And that's like one of the quotes that stands out most. It was a goof, obviously, is the one that most people know, I think, because Glenn Ritchie does come up again in a TV show later on where I think he also uses the quote a few times as well. So, so yeah, I think you we've kind of been beating around this thing of like comes up in some other shows, but that sort of is your fourth defense point. And that's sort of the fact that the 10 sort of spawned other things in pop culture and, you know, has a bunch of state Easter eggs and sort of is this like interconnected web of the Wayne verse, so to speak. Yeah, so Children's Hospital, Glenn Ritchie is a character on Children's Hospital. Which is a show that was on Adult Swim, Adult Swim. for a bunch of years with that Rob, Rob and Fordry Rob was, and Yeah, Adam Scott and a bunch of different people were on. But the fact that it's still the same Glenn Ritchie, and they don't really reference the 10 other than he does say it was a goof a few times and he's still the same doctor. So you don't know if it's he was in prison, they both got out, because it's obviously Rob Cordry is a different character in Children's Hospital than he was in the 10. And the other really random one, though, is they had Newsreaders, which was the Louis LaFonda show on on Cartoon Network or on oh, Adult right. Swim for like yeah. one year, maybe, or maybe it was even two year, two seasons. What I mean, but it's still like six or eight episodes. It wasn't very many, but it was like David Wayne was cool enough to be like, hey, I want to put this character in his own TV show, which was obviously a satirization of like new news shows itself. Um, yeah, for sure. It wasn't as popular as Children's Hospital, which obviously Children's Hospital spawned, I think, three, two or three spinoffs. Yeah, I mean, I think itself. I think, you know, Children's Hospital, I think, is in some ways even more accessible than the 10. Not, I mean, it was more popular, mm-hmm. obviously, but I think like it has such a because the 10 is the anthology. It's like, you know, a, the tone shifts a little bit, but like Children's Hospital is just like so hard in the paint on the absurdist tone it sets out for so it's just like imagine if you know you just isolate that first merino sketch and just go like full hog in it but then you know have a bunch of other doctors who are also insane and don't understand humans and have a fun time with that yeah i mean i thought i've only seen the first i think the first season of children's hospital i found it was pretty funny but yeah, it's just insane. It's just, it's weird to think that this movie that didn't do very well, that didn't even make its budget back, somehow spawned two TV shows related to it, even if it's only like one show that had like four seasons or five seasons and one show that had like eight episodes. But still, like David Wayne and Rob Corddry and, and Ken Marino must have loved this movie enough themselves. It's like a love letter that they like still. Yeah, I, d- I don't think that the people probably, you know, maybe apart from the general rapey vibe in certain parts have a lot of like not great memories of this it seems like at least you know everybody here is having a fun time as you know we said there's so many people assembled and it's like clear that some of them are just like 
you know, LA comedy scene buddies and folks that, you know, just want to be in David Wayne's next movie because they loved Wet Hot so much, even if they're, you know, quote unquote, a little too big or too famous for this <laughs> weird little sketch movie. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that they got someone like, I mean, Jessica Alba was pretty much in the height of her famousness at the time here. Right. And she's playing like a pretty biter like role. She's like in two or three little of these Paul Rudd yeah. interstitials. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. I mean, the Adam fact Brody that... was, you know, this was closer to the OC, so he was a bigger deal back then. You know, Winona, again, was sort of in a dip period, but still is Winona freaking writer. You probably didn't even notice this, but John Hamm is the guy that's the... Yeah, well, I was going to... I did notice it. The, I was going to bring this up at a different point, but I'll just mention it now. There are... No, there are a couple... We'll just do it while we're here. We'll yeah. Just do it while we're here. Yeah, I was going to mention this. There are a couple people that you're like, oh, like John Hamm is the person in the airplane at the very start that is like, he didn't take his parachute. And like, that's it. He's not like a really a character in this movie. He's just no. pre-Mad Men like, because this is pre-Mad Men, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So the, he was just like pre-Mad Men. And he was, if you know John Hamm, he's like, before he was famous, he was like pals with a bunch of like comedy seed people. Like he was in with all like the comedy death ray comedy bang bang people would would just like hang out at that scene even though he wasn't like a comedian he was just like an actor who was just you know doing bit parts here and there and then sort of became super famous but still seems to you know gravitate to those comedic because well, him and paul are both from kansas missouri area so they're like that's why i think they bonded over being Kansas City sports fans. Right. And also another person who's in this for half a second, and it's not a cameo because, again, she was not huge, is uh, Rashida Jones is the person who seats, I think, Winona <laughs> at the restaurant. Yeah, yeah she starts the, the, the ventriloquist scene. She's the server in that scene, which is really funny as well. Yeah. So it is like even I said the all-star cast, and if you include people who are just like barely in this who were not famous at the time, it's even bigger. Like, in retrospect, you know, because also even, like, Paul Rudd, he was, you know, in Clueless, and he was in things, but he wasn't... Anchorman, you know, by now. You know, Anchorman to Ant-Man to, you know, one of, the, like, the most beloved... He wasn't the sexiest man alive or whatever at yeah. this time. He was like, oh, remember that guy closer to that range than, like, you know, an A-lister. Yeah. And, you know, Famke Jansen, obviously, as well. She was in the X-Men movies. She was in a Bond movie, and then she does this movie. <laughs> I mean... Right, and she's in a similar, like, thing with Jessica Alba, where it's like, she's probably in the movie for five five minutes, five, six minutes. Yeah. Even, like, their, the number died, the sketch that they do, the commandment sketch they do, is, like, maybe the shortest one of them all? Yeah, probably. So, the, yeah, then your fifth point is also a thing we sort of glazed over so that we could do a deeper dive here, which is the fourth sketch in the program, which might be your favorite for a reason, which is honor thy mother and father. You have a real connection to this sketch in particular. Yeah, and it's interesting. So the premise of the sketch is Carrie Kinney's husband, white husband, dies at the very beginning of the sketch. Who coincidentally is played by Kevin Allison, who's one of the more forgotten members of the state. He has a podcast now called Risk, which is like his big career now. You've probably heard of it. Yep. So he's briefly in this scene. And then what happens is 
Carrie Kinney, they have two children together, but they're black, they're black male twins. So yeah, then at the funeral, like they sit down with mom and be like, okay, but like, who's our real dad? And when they ask her this, she's like, well, I used to like interview a bunch of celebrities and she, so I think it was probably one of them. And she goes through and sort of is naming people and they're like, okay, whatever. And then she settles on actually your dad is Arnold Schwarzenegger, which again, does not solve the problem at all that they are <laughs> and they're both. With. And her reason is I think because they're both like strong men and he was a strong man and they're kind of tall and yeah. he's tall. And they're both like, we're, we're still black. So then she hires Oliver Plath, who's an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator to come be their dad now, their real dad around the house. And he does a very interesting Arnold Schwarzenegger. He does what you would expect from an impersonator to do Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he's not supposed to be an awesome Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonator because also he's Oliver Platt. It does not look anything like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> he's wearing this like Terminator leather jacket in it. And it's just just talking like Arnold and just saying all the Arnold quotes like, I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just... so the boys like, you know, th- these guys are like young adults. They're not like kids. Yeah, they're teenagers. Yeah. They are like, okay, I guess like mom hired this guy to come hang out with us to be our surrogate dad because she thinks Arnold Schwarzenegger is our dad. So let's like go with it, I guess. And then it becomes kind of sweet. Yeah, they go play football in the backyard and then they're they're talking to him and you find out Oliver Platt's real name is, the character's name is Mark Jacobs and not Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he has this whole like breakdown where he talks about when he, acts as Arnold that he feels much better about himself because Mark Jacobs is just like a down on down out of luck, like actor who can't get jobs anywhere. Yeah. And they then, basically have like a heart to heart in like a pile of leaves. They're all just like yes. laying in a pile of leaves and like talking about their feelings. And, you know, they're like, yeah, it's weird that our Bob did this, but I mean, like you seem pretty cool. <laughs> and then Carrie Kinney comes back. Who's the mom. And she realizes, Oh no, it was, Arsenio Hall, that's your father, not Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then the twins are like, oh, that makes sense. And then they ask Oliver Platt, they ask Oliver Platt's character if he can do Arsenio Hall. He's like, no, but I got to do a mean Eddie Murphy. And then he does an Eddie Murphy impression. And that's pretty much how the sketch ends. Well, yeah. And they're basically like, what's your real family? Is it your biological family? Is it the person who raised you? Or is it like the man your mom hired to act as a celebrity who who she thought was your dad and they're yeah, like and then, we're going with the third one and it's just like wholesome because it really talks about how family is more than just biology or just you know who your parents are i think as someone who has found family i think it really i think that's probably why it spoke to me as someone who may or may not have contentious relationships with my biological family so it just feels very sweet and wholesome and just some of the jokes are really funny. And like, then like they said, the whole mo- moment where Mark Jacobs, Oliver Platt's character breaks down and starts like talking about his life and how he puts on this air and it makes him feel better. I'm like, Oh yeah. I think a lot of us, you know, have this outer armor that we put on when we want to pretend to be stronger than we are, you know? For sure. So. For sure. But yeah, it, it is like a l- little warm heart in the center of this movie. That's very, very absurdist, but it is, sweeter than some of the things that are just going for pure absurdity. Yeah. Oliver Platt nails it. I think he's a, he's a, I think he's an underrated actor. I think I, I find most of the stuff that he's in pretty funny. 
So awesome. Well, I think those are five strong defense points. I might not. I don't know. This movie's a little hit and miss for me. I, I feel like the jokes don't quite land as much as I'd want to. But you know, I think especially when you have those, you know, I think sharing this movie with somebody else would probably make it funnier than uh, like as you did you know where you yeah. can sort of form those in jokes and things like that but uh yeah before we get out of here is there anything you wanted to touch on in the junk drawer no i mean other than watch the state stella wayne days you know watch all the david wayne movies i feel like we talk about wet hot obviously wet hot got two tv shows that are really funny you know role models is David Wayne's most accessible film in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But his other his other oeuvre is pretty good too. Wanderlust is pretty funny, which has people like Jordan Peele in it and Carrie Kinney as well. Jennifer Aniston, Justin Theroux is in that movie too. I think the fact that David Wayne consistently uses a lot of the same actors, him and Ken write for the same actors, I think is interesting sometimes. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, the only notes I had for junk drawer things were just sort of like, you know, Again, like not all the jokes, I think, hold up over time, be it the, you know, prison rape stuff or the like, yeah, you know, like one legged rickshaw is weird to me. I'm like, what is this? Like, what is <laughs> what's the like the joke here? I'm I'm a little confused. I think the joke is supposed to be that it's funny to watch a man with one leg hop on a rickshaw, which yet again is in this time in 2023 yeah. isn't necessarily and then necessarily funny. And then the other thing is just like, I feel like the one spot where this film like shows its budget is like how sometimes bad the tablets look <laughs> how it's oh just, yeah like, set, a bad the, cgi the is... room like yes. it's just like what is what is this space and i mean it is kind of fun in like a liminal like this is almost outside of existence but it's still like just doesn't look awesome which i, I could imagine some people will like turn this on see paul rudd walk into this like weird room with these like <laughs> super high tablets and be like Oh, this is like cheesy and cheap. And like it doesn't get the sketches themselves are, you know, like mostly all like real world things. So it's not, you know, it doesn't get that sense throughout the whole movie. But it does, I think, probably set up people with a bad taste in their mouth to start off with sometimes. Yeah, maybe. And I guess because you, it can be a little uneven, I can see why people didn't like it when it came out. But. I mean, I don't know. Again, I feel like as it's a gem said, nowadays. It's like the nature of the things. Like you're not, you know, probably the odds of you doing a ten vignette sketch thing and each of them being uproariously funny. Let's just like watch SNL. It's just like, oh, can you get? There's seasons where there's like ten sketches. There's not even ten sketches that I think are awesome. Funny, you know? yeah. You know, there's things, but it's, there'll still be things where I'm like, you know, I'll watch episodes and it's never like that episode was devoid of laughs or there'd occasionally be sketches there. Like that was completely unfunny, but even some of the ones that are weaker, you know, you get a chuckle here or two from a line or something like that. So, you know, approach it as if it is, I think sketch comedy and, you know, have that bar in mind instead of, you know, having big, some super cohesive thing, but that's just the nature of the medium that this movie exists in. Yeah. And I think if you like David Wade movies, you should check them out, especially. I think that's a that's pretty much why I think I think a lot of people seen Wet Hot and Role Models and I haven't seen the 10 because it kind of flew under everyone's radar so much, as you pointed out. Yeah. So. 
So before we get out of here, is there anything you'd like to plug, Allison? I mean, you mentioned some of the David Wayne other properties. Uh, no, not that I could think of off the top of my head, other than, you know, I'm really excited for the new Boy Genius record. But other than that... Yeah. Who really needs our help right now is Lucy Dacus, Julian Baker, and Phoebe Bridgers. In case you haven't heard of them, <laughs> go check them out. That's one of the best... Uh, the Boy Genius show last time they were in Seattle is one of my favorite concerts of all time. And, and apparently it's the, oh, sorry. I was going to say it's the 21st anniversary of reinventing Axl Rose today. Oh, yeah. We are both big Against Me fans. So shout out Lord Jane Grace and uh, go listen to that record. One of the best punk records of all time, in my opinion. Love it. Yeah. I was listening to it earlier this week because it's also a very good, like, you're in a bad mental space, like, vented <laughs> out record. Uh, Walking is still honest. Walking is still honest. That's that's all I really had to plug right now, other than that's all I can think about. So awesome. Well, follow this pod on social medias and stuff like that. And yeah, I don't know. I don't have a lot to plug. I'm not sure when this one's coming out, so I'm not going to plug specific date things. But I was going to say this one thing: this podcast is not is not a goof. That's all I have to say. I mean, it is a goof. But it is a goof. It is a goof. We are both goofs, <laughs> but we are not doing this podcast. This podcast is a goof, but we're not doing it as a goof. I think that's exactly. the that's the delineation that we need to uh, lay down there. So, best of work, you know, pumping your pecs this week, and uh, you know, take care, everybody out there. Make sure you get your reps in, and remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. <laughs>